Hello. Ooh, how are you? Did I wake you up with that? Some, some not. Okay, good. Good start. Now, uh, if you don't know me, I'm John. I'm the student minister here, so I get to study at more college. Yeah, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> um, I get to study at more college, and so that's a Bible college. So I'm starting to become a minister, which is super fun. Um, and I also get the massive privilege of being a part of the youth ministry on a Friday night, um, which I love. I love uh, spending time with young people, opening up the word. I love it. Um, and you know what? We get to do it again tonight. You're all young tonight. Excellent. Um, I'm going to pray uh, because I think praying is awesome. Uh, it says in the Bible that it is powerful and effective. So why don't we pray and ask God that he would speak clearly to us. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us and thank you that through your Holy Spirit you have brought us into a relationship uh, with you. And for those tonight, God, that are sitting in this room that maybe are like, yeah, I don't have that, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working through them as we look at this passage today. God, I pray that you'd help, uh, help me to speak clearly and help me to speak the truth. Help me not to add anything to your word, but help me to speak it truthfully. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, I love plot twists in movies, okay? I love the way that just all of a sudden it changes and things are so different. Um, Eliza, my wife, is particularly good at picking plot twists. I, like, she'll be like, oh, this is going to happen. I'm like, no, 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 it won't. But she every time picks it. Um, I, I want you to yell out, what's a good movie with a good plot twist? Whoa. Uh, I've, I heard... Fight Club, yep. Shawshank Redemption. I did not think about that one. That is a good one. Star Wars, episode five. Yes, excellent. Anything else? Unbreakable. Which one's that? Yes, yeah, okay. So, I thought about some movies with plot twists in them. I thought about one that I watched a few years back. Now, I'm not sure whether you remember in high school and you were doing creative writing, some of you more recently than others, uh, there is this time when a teacher says, whatever you do, don't end it with, and you woke up and it was all a dream. Hands up, have you heard that from a teacher? Yeah, excellent, good. Well, don't watch this movie. Click. It is exactly like that. It, is a te- it exactly ends like that. He wakes up and it was all a dream and so he goes, oh, now I've got to live a different life. That's kind of what happens. Pretty bad. Don't waste your time. Today when we look in this passage, we actually see that there's a bit of a plot twist for some of the religious people of the time. They see that things are starting to change, things that were unexpected. In, in today's passage, you might have seen that there was kind of three stories. We've got the one about Levi and then talking about fasting and talking about the Sabbath, all these different kind of things. We're going to think about those three stories and why they're actually all together. And for those of you who are at youth group on Friday night, we looked at the story before this and you might be able to think about how that links in with these three stories that we're looking at. When these three stories happen, Jesus is kind of given these three questions. The first one with Levi is that we see that he's asked, or people are asking the question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
Then we see in the next story, why aren't the disciples fasting? Because fasting was a religious thing that would happen. And then again, another religious thing that, that Jesus was asked was, why are the disciples not following the Sabbath, which is the day of rest? So let's look at Levi. If you've got your Bible with me, open up to Mark chapter 2. It will be helpful to have that in front of you. Uh, now, Levi, he had been a tax collector. Uh, that meant that he had essentially worked for the Roman government. And that meant that everyone saw him as a traitor. Everyone saw him as someone that was worth hating. Tax collectors and sinners were synonyms. They were the same kind of thing. If I said I was a tax collector, you'd think, John, he's one of those sinner dudes. Uh, Whoever it was that had crafted the Roman Empire, they had these dudes that were tax collectors, uh, and it was an excellent internal revenue and taxing system because, well, it was, I think it was genius, because the way that it worked was that so long as Rome received the prescribed amount, they were happy, but the tax collectors, they could just take as much as they wanted. They'd ask for more, and they could take that. And so if you were financially ambitious, if you were an entrepreneur, or you just loved money, tax collector, that's the way to do it. But there's one thing that you're going to lose. You're going to end up in a bit of drought. You see, farmers, they need rain. Uh, We, if you were a tax collector, you'd be in a bit of friendship, friendship drought. Can everyone say friendship? Well, that was like three people said friendship. Everyone say friendship. Okay, all right, we're awake, excellent, good. Um, So this was Levi. He was in a bit of a friendship drought. He didn't have friends because he was a tax collector. And then we see here today that came the strangest day for him. It was the best, best day, I imagine, of his life. Levi had heard about this rabbi Jesus, this teacher Jesus, and everyone seemed to be talking about this guy. There were reports of astounding miracles that he had been healing people. And people were puzzling over these things that he was saying, these parables and metaphors. And now Jesus had come to his town. Levi wanted to hear him preach. He wanted to see this guy and know this guy, Jesus. But he was probably swamped with work, sitting in his tax booth, asking people for money or demanding money. Sitting in in that booth, he saw this large crowd approaching, and as they approached, I imagine he probably would have put his head down like this, because he would have come to know that hatred that people had for him, because of the way that he stole their money, essentially. He avoided making eye contact with any of the people coming towards him, because he didn't want to feel the burn of those people who hated him. Suddenly, the bustle had stopped, right in front of his tax booth. And he looks up and he sees this intent young man looking at him. And he knew immediately who it was. This was Jesus right there with him. But what Jesus said is, if you look in verse 14, is he says, follow me. Jesus was clearly speaking to him. Jesus was seen as a rabbi as a teacher of of religious things. And he was speaking to him, a tax collector, a sinner, someone that supposedly wasn't worthy to be with the religious people. 
for so long, I feel like he, Levi, would have assumed that God didn't want to have anything to do with him because he was called a sinner. And that's because the religious leaders of the time pushed this, that if you were somehow unclean, that you weren't to have anything, you weren't to be with anyone that was religious because you would make a religious person unclean. When we see this come from the law, that there was these aspects that we see, but what happened was they made this above humans. They made the law above the humans. And despite the fact uh, that this guy was seen as a sinner, Jesus was talking to him and was now calling a sinner, a tax collector, to follow him. So, Levi, he lays down his pen, he stood up and starts walking behind. And later that night, Jesus sits down with him and multiple other people for dinner, other people that were seen and uh, hung out with tax collectors and sinners. If you look at, in verse 15, it says here, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Many sinners were following this guy, Jesus, around. He was throwing, he was turning the tables upside down. Almost dropped in. Jesus seemed to draw, he kind of, he was a magnet for those people that were looked down on, for those people that were outcasts, because they were seen as these people that weren't worthy, weren't worthy to be in the temple, weren't worthy to be with God's people. And then we come to a famous verse in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. It says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You see, this is the question. Uh, He's answering the question, that first question. Why are you, Jesus, someone who is a rabbi who is clean, why are you meeting with sinners and tax collectors? And he responds by saying this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Things had changed. Jesus had come and had brought a twist. Often I think we feel that Jesus is just for the religious people. Sometimes we feel like he's only for the ones that live the good life and do good stuff. But Jesus shows us here that he is for those who know that they haven't got it right. So then we come to this next part in Mark 2, where we talk about fasting. And uh, the word there, see, I'm I'm now at Bible college, so I feel like I can... You know, use all these weird words. I'm, don't worry, I won't do this very, very often. But um, this word nestuo, which is a Greek word, is, is the word that's used for fasting. And we see this idea of being empty. You see, fasting was a thing that came from the Old Testament and was a way that helped people to focus on God because they would empty themselves 
uh, of activities, setting, si- setting aside themselves so they could focus on God, that they could center in on God and praise Him. And so it was this Jewish tradition that had become more than uh, what God had given for His people, that it, be- it had become greater than, than even God Himself, I think, at times. The Pharisees asked Jesus, well, why are you and your disciples not fasting? So this is the next question that we see that Jesus answers. And he responds with kind of three different metaphors. Uh, everyone say metaphors. Uh, metaphors. Everyone's falling asleep. I understand. It is hot. It is sticky. Fasting was this thing that if, would probably, you would probably feel exactly like you're feeling now. You would probably feel like, man, I'm ready to sleep because I just don't have the energy. I'm empty. I don't have the food. Well, this was, this was what was happening. And so what happened was Jesus came back with these three metaphors. And I tried to look up and figure out exactly, exactly what do these three things mean. Um, have you ever been to a wedding? You see, because this is what it says. Let's look at it. Verse 19. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. So Sam can't, like, we're not going to fast next weekend, are we? Okay, good. Because I went to a wedding once where uh, the food, well, the, the wedding was beautiful. It was a beautiful day. We had an excellent ceremony. I love these two people so much. But when we got to the reception, man, there was not enough food. I said to Eliza, I said, Eliza, do you think we can go to KFC and just grab something and then come back? I was hungry. And what happened was I lost the joy of the wedding. I wasn't able to celebrate anywhere near as much because I was starving. And so here we see Jesus has come. And it is a time of joy and celebration And then the second and the third metaphors have these ideas around cloth and a wineskin. I'll read it to you. Uh, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, because if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Now, I'm sure that this is not about uh, giving us some wisdom on being a happy homemaker and, you know, learning how to pour wine into the right bags and, you know, sewing the right pieces of cloth. In fact, I know that that's not what it's about. But the images of patching the cloth, the garment will tear if it's not treated the right way. The wineskins will break. The old wineskin will tear because when new wine is poured in, the old wineskin has already been stretched and it's been stretched as far as it can go. I'm sure this means a lot to you. Does it mean a lot to you, Jake? Yeah, because you've been pouring wine into wineskins, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus is saying that he has brought the new, that the tables have been turned. Jesus has come not to patch up the old system, hasn't come to abolish it, 
but he's come to transform it. The old system, which we see was exemplified by the way that the Pharisees were like tax collectors and sinners, we can't have anything to do with them. We see that this old system had been exemplified in that, in the exclusion of sinners. But as we move into the next part, let's look at the next part, verse 23. Uh, Jesus starts to argue that such things as the Sabbath laws are made for the benefit of humans. You see, Mark 2, 27, Jesus is speaking. He says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. These laws were made for the benefits of humans living under God. And all the food laws that we see in the Old Testament, it is only... A purity of heart now because of Jesus that matters if we look at Mark 7. The temple is even going to be destroyed. The place where they went to worship. The sound of, even the sound of ripping itself we see throughout the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I, was, I was reading this week uh, about, you know, we see in Mark chapter 1 that the heavens rip open as Jesus was baptized. That a Caiaphas, which is like a high priest, that's his name, uh, he tears his garment when he's confronted with Jesus' claim that he is the Son of God, the Christ. And then we see in the, in the final hours of Jesus' life, the temple curtain is ripped from top to bottom when Jesus dies on the cross, opening up the temple to everyone. These rips all signify the end of an old and the birth of a new. And so this section, uh, when Jesus is questioned about the Sabbath, uh, a Sabbath, the Sabbath was something that came from the Old Testament. Um, it was a guideline that God had given his people to rest, to rest one in seven days. And the Jews had been living with this for hundreds of years. And it's even not a bad idea for us to be living with that today as well. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish it or to wipe out the law, but to transform it. But the problem was that the religious, those people that were so tied up in in looking right and looking proper, they had turned the Sabbath into this thing that was greater than the need of humans themselves. And by doing this, they were actually preventing people from seeing the mercy of God. Because we see that through the Sabbath, we see the true mercy of God. You see, God is for His people. He doesn't want to make religious people that prevent uh, the priority of human need just simply to conform to ritualistic things. If we look back in Leviticus, we can see that it talks about people pulling off grains uh, because they were walking through the fields and they were starving. God, when he first gave the law of of the Sabbath, showed that he was for his people. So we've talked about all these three things that seem quite different to each other. 
We've talked about Levi, who was a tax collector and a sinner. We've talked about fasting, and we've talked about the Sabbath. Can anyone tell me? Uh, actually, no, we're going to keep going, and then we're going to get to that. Um, looking back at these three stories, it reveals that Jesus is def- defying the traditional expectations of the religious leaders over what behavior God actually accepts. I'll say that again. These stories, they reveal that Jesus is defying the traditional expectations of the religious leaders over what behavior God actually expects. I'm going to say that one more time. It reveals Jesus defying the traditional expectations of what the religious leaders thought was right over what behavior God actually expects. They turned what God had created into their God more than God himself. And Jesus, we see throughout all of the Gospels, that he sparks this controversy by spending time with sinners and tax collectors. And each of these three different stories, uh, we see that Jesus is showing this contrast between um, two incompatible lifestyles, those of religious people and that of Jesus. So Levi, he he presents uh, the contrast between the religious attitude that keeps sinners and the unholy at an arm's length. While Jesus, what he does is he presents the good news that welcomes everyone. The God that says, come as you are. The God that says, come as you are. Then we see the query about fasting. It's the contrast between, uh, between the religious exercises that kind of weigh down them like a, a ball and chain uh, versus the experience that allows all comers, all those that come to Jesus to experience joy. And then the controversy over keeping the Sabbath reveals this clash of the religious outlook that kills mercy and justice and places human needs above these ritualistic traditions. This balance of those two things. So looking at these three stories, we kind of see this contrast of a life And it's this plot twist for those people. So what does Jesus say doesn't belong? He says that uh, categorizing or excluding anyone from God and the goodness that he has for them, he says no. He says that fasting and gloom, so if you fast and you become all grumpy and you look all downtrodden, he says they don't belong together. And he also says no to the religious customs that stop us from doing good for others. And therefore, what does belong? He says these three things. Reaching out. What does he say? Reaching out. Yeah? I think we're falling asleep. I totally get it. What does he say? Reaching out. So he says that we, he says yes to reaching out to those who don't know Jesus yet. And then he says, That we are to have joy. What does he say? Yeah, excellent, good, we're getting there. And then the third thing he says is that we are to help others. What does he say? Help others, excellent. What was the first one? Help 
reach out to others with the good news of the gospel. Then what does he say we need to have? Joy. And then what does he say we need to do? Help others. Jesus is saying that, uh, that we come to him as we are. Come as you are to him. You don't need to be good. You don't need to be righteous. You don't need to have the right clothes. You don't need to have done the right things. You don't need to help old ladies across the road. You don't need to donate things to uh, op shops. These things are great. But what Jesus is saying is he says, come as you are today. And we at Darling Street are following in Jesus' footsteps. This is the type of church that we want to be. We want to be a place where if you have never come to church or if you have had really bad experiences of church, we want you to come here and feel welcomed and that you are welcome here just as much as I am. We want you to meet the true Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that says, come as you are. So Jesus' goal in reaching out to the sick is to bring about healing and transformation in their lives. And instead of sorting people into these categories of clean and unclean, holy and unholy, he now says, and he now gathers all of us under the grace of the cross. And for Levi, if we look back at Levi, the reason that he was called to follow Jesus was because he was a sinner. This was his only qualification. Jesus says to you today, wherever you are in your walk with God, he says, come as you are. Come with your brokenness. Come with your hurt. He says that he will carry your burdens. We see it throughout all of the New Testament that we are to pray and ask God for the strength to cast our anxieties onto Him, even though at times we do not feel worthy of His love. Levi was a tax collector and he was able to follow Jesus. Jesus had come to call all of us to repentance, which is the idea of uh, turning around and turning back to God. Levi was sick with the disease of sin and Jesus, the great physician, came to heal. The greatest plot twist that we see is that Jesus came to turn the tables and that he was no longer just for the people that stood upright and did the right things. He says, come as you are. Your feeling of worthlessness, bring that. He says, come as you are. Joel's going to um, play some music for us. Uh, and this is one of my favorite songs that talks about coming as you are. Now, you might never have... Uh, said yes to Jesus and what he says is you don't have to be right you don't have to be a good person 
but he says, come as you are. And if you want to accept Jesus as your king and as your saviour today, man, that is awesome. We are so excited. If, if that is you, uh, come and talk to me during the next song or during this song. Come and grab me. I'm going to go out the back. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you because it says that in the Bible when that happens, even the angels are having a party in heaven celebrating over you. And, and that verse that Mark shared at the start about a song, that God will be singing a song over you. So that might be you. You might feel like you've been a Christian your whole life and you might feel like you aren't worthy, that you aren't good enough. Levi was one of these people that was an outcast and he was able to follow. I felt like that at one stage in my life. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And Romans 10, 9 says that if we say that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. And that is an awesome promise. Or you might be on top of the world. You might be like, yeah, man, I'm reading my Bible. I feel close to God. Awesome. You don't always get it right. (laughs) Come as you are. And remember that there are people in your life that do not yet know Jesus. And invite them to come as they are. So Joel's going to play this song, um, which is about, uh, which uses those lines, come as you are. And as, as he plays, reflect, think about where you're at with God. And if you would like to meet Jesus today, uh, come and pray with me out the back. I would love to do that.